Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. It's another live edition of the original Southern Remedy. I'm here with our producer, Jay White, and we're all ready to go. It's just me and you, so whatever kind of questions you have, medically speaking, I'd love to help you with them if I can. If not, we'll direct you to the right place. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Your Doc in the Box radio show for the next hour from Southern Remedy at southernremedy.mpbonline.org where you can send us your email. We'd love to have that as well. We're going to be right back after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. FBI Director James Comey is testifying in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee on Capitol Hill. He was questioned about his decision to reopen the Hillary Clinton email investigation just before the November election. Potentially finding the emails that would reflect on her intent from the beginning and not speak about it would require an act of concealment, in my view. And so I stared at speak and conceal. Speak would be really bad. There's an election in 11 days. Lordy, that would be really bad. Concealing, in my view, would be catastrophic. Comey is also answering questions regarding Russian interference in the U.S. presidential election. He announced two months ago that his agency had opened an investigation into the matter. The Justice Department has decided not to file criminal charges against two police officers in Louisiana involved in last July shooting death of a man outside a convenience store in Baton Rouge. Alton Sterling, a black man, was shot dead by two white police officers. The shooting sparked days of protests. The Federal Reserve could provide a clearer picture today of its plan for raising interest rates. NPR's John Itzty reports officials released a statement this afternoon after finishing their two-day policymaking meeting. Virtually no one expects Fed officials to boost rates at this meeting. They're expected to take a wait-and-see approach after raising rates a quarter of a percent during their March meeting. If they hold off as expected, their benchmark rate will remain in a range between three-quarters and one percent. Fed officials have indicated they expect to raise rates two more times this year, and many analysts expect the next increase could come in June. That will require policymakers to dismiss worries about slower-than-expected growth during the first three months of this year and a surprising pullback in inflation in March. John Itzty, NPR News, Washington. The two French presidential candidates will hold their one and only debate tonight. Far-right candidate Marine Le Pen and centrist newcomer Emmanuel Macron will face off ahead of Sunday's runoff election. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reports the event is expected to be the most widely watched presidential debate in French history. Tens of millions of viewers are expected to tune in to this last debate before Sunday's election and the first one-on-one meeting of Macron and Le Pen. Both candidates will aim to convince the millions of voters who say they may not cast a ballot because they don't like either contender. Macron will try to bring credibility to his candidacy while demonstrating that Le Pen is incompetent. Le Pen will play up Macron's lack of experience and try to paint him as a continuation of the policies of unpopular President François Hollande. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Paris. 
Stocks are trading lower on Wall Street. The Dow was down 10 points. The Nasdaq Composite down 32. The S&P 500 down 5. This is NPR News. Nigeria's ailing president, who hasn't been seen in public for more than a week, is under pressure to disclose the nature of his illness to the nation. NPR's Ophabia Gwistarkton reports a group of prominent Nigerians is calling on him to take medical leave and make concern about his health and ability to govern. Nigeria's First Lady tweets that President Muhammad Buhari's health is not as bad as perceived. With that comment, Aisha Buhari becomes the latest to enter the debate about her husband's medical status, trying to calm fears and reassure Nigerians the president is able to work from home. This follows a call by 13 influential civil society leaders for President Buhari to take the time he needs to recover after seven weeks' medical leave in Britain earlier this year. They note an apparent deterioration in his health after Buhari failed to attend the last two cabinet meetings and Friday prayers and did not deliver Monday's annual Workers' Day speech. Other Nigerians are demanding that if Buhari is too sick to govern, the president must step aside. Ophelia Kristakton, NPR News, Accra. A suicide bomber has targeted a NATO convoy in the Afghan capital near the U.S. Embassy. Authorities say at least eight people have been killed and more than two dozen others have been injured. The blast occurred during morning rush hour in one of the busiest parts of Kabul. Officials say a suicide bomber detonated an explosives rig car as the convoy passed by the U.S. Embassy. Stocks are continuing to trade lower on Wall Street. The Dow is down six points. The Nasdaq Composite down 31. I'm Windsor Johnston, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the estate of Eric Robert Gustafson, member of the graduating class of 1955 from Lincoln High School in Seattle, whose bequest seeks to help NPR further its mission to work with member stations to create a more informed public. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, your host. I'm professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson and uh, uh, see just about everything uh, in my practice. So, I have a pretty good balance of information I hope that will be useful to you. And what I don't know will get you to the right place. So it's just me today. We don't have a guest. I thought it would be good to have a few more shows with uh, general topics because we, on those days, we usually have a lot of folks with questions. And we'd love to have you call. Uh, we have open lines now uh, at our one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four number. That's also one eight seven seven MPB ring. And our producer Jake White is receiving emails, which he passes under the door. And then I do my best to answer them. And you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline dot org. We would love to uh, have your email or talk to you. It's that time of the year again when uh, everything changes outdoors and people begin to think about 
uh, outdoors and living outdoors more, and we're already seeing uh, young children come in with major sunburns, uh, which are problematic. So don't forget, if you have a child, we've got enough sun now that they need to be covered up. The biggest risk for mel one of the biggest risks for melanoma is to have had a major sunburn in childhood. And it's just not something we want kids to have. So uh, you can get some very inexpensive spray-on uh, sunscreens that are very effective. You don't have to rub them all over. All you have to do is put your hands over their eyes and nose and spray them down and uh, let, them, let them go for it. Uh, so I'd highly recommend that. We've also uh, got last year's... Um, mosquito-borne problems to begin to think about uh, this year. We're sure that we're going to continue to have <clears throat> episodic West Nile. A little bit less uh, concern about the Zika epidemic, but it's still out there. So um, also don't forget to use your mosquito repellent. And remember that you're going to use the lower percentages of DEET, usually the kids' DEET, if you're going to use DEET, uh, which I think is great. Um, and there are some um, there are some of these combos of DEET and sunscreen. I don't recommend them because you need to put the sunscreen on more frequently than the DEET, and you'll end up with too much DEET. So my recommendation for kids, sunscreens and insect repellents would be uh, get separate ones and use them as per the direction. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, alone and lonely at Mississippi Public Broadcasting, waiting for your call. This is Southern Remedy, the original Southern Remedy where the doctors are always in, and this is the one where we take all calls on all topics all the time. So if you have a medical question and you want to get that address, give us a call at Southern Remedy at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring or send us an email at Southern Remedy at MPB Online dot org. Let's go to Latasha and Jackson. Hey Latasha. Hi Doctor Rick, how are you? All righty, thanks for your call. Yeah. I was calling to see uh, how much you knew about Sjogren syndrome. I was just diagnosed with it last week, uh-huh. but I believe I've been dealing with it for most of my life and just didn't know it. Um, oh, okay. There's, there's so many different symptoms that I was treating each symptom differently, so I didn't know until I got the right blood test as to what was going on. Yeah. How much do you know about it, and do you have any suggestions? Well, I'm a rheumatologist, so I know a little bit about it. Uh, we Nobody knows what causes it. It's an autoimmune disease where you make uh, your cells that usually protect you against infection uh, target your salivary glands, including your parotid gland, which uh, provides a lot of saliva for dis digesting food, your tear glands, uh, the lacrimal glands that give water to your eyes to keep your um, keep your eyes healthy and lubricated, and also affects the lubrication glands in your skin, and in particular in mucous membranes, not only in your mouth but in your vagina if you're a woman. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's always usually presents as dry eye syndrome, and we you know see everybody seems to have dry eye syndrome 
right now because everybody's using um, overhead fans that dry your eyes out anyway at night. So uh, we see a lot of people who come in who just have dry eyes and don't have Sjogren's syndrome. The difference is that folks with Sjogren's syndrome have an autoimmune disease in which they have uh, their lymphocytes that attack their salivary glands. And we can diagnose that several ways. We can diagnose it with a lip biopsy, which the dentist usually gets for us, and you can actually see those lymphocytes in attacking your salivary glands, minor salivary glands in your lips. Or uh, we can get more information by getting what's called an SSA, SSB autoimmune test, uh, and most people with Sjogren's uh, will have that. Now, just because you have Sjogren's doesn't mean that you have another connective tissue disease, but Sjogren's is very, very common in people with rheumatoid arthritis. So we see many people who have a combination of these. Once you have a connective tissue disease, it's not infrequent for you to have another one. And the good news is that we have wonderful biologics and other medications to treat these. Latasha, is that sort of what you needed or do you need more? Um, that That's helpful. Um, in terms of biologics, I heard of something called, I think it's called Rituxan. Uh-huh. And I've seen a woman on YouTube who had it infused like a chemotherapy treatment. Right. We don't treat uh, Sjogren's syndrome, uh, dry eyes, dry mouth, and eye problems. Um, the biggest problems with it are dental caries because not having saliva in adequate quantities, eye injuries to the cornea because not having grease up there, and um, and and those are the big problems, and we just sort of treat those preventatively with uh, appropriate um, medications to lubricate the eyes, lubricate uh, regular dental care, and vaginal lubricants to deal with that problem. Uh, the when we when we treat it is if people have complicated Sjogren's where they start getting enlargement, actually enlargement of their salivary glands, and mm-hmm. uh, then that causes problems. And what we do, uh, you know, you need to see a rheumatologist. Sounds like you've seen one to make sure well, you don't. Yeah, I've, I've seen my GP and mm-hmm. um, she had the um, ANA test done, mm-hmm. and that's how she got the diagnosis. Uh, I do have enlarged glands, and I'm in the process of seeing rheumatologists. I have to be assigned to one, but I'm dealing with uh, a lot of joint pain, muscle pain, fatigue. It's like horrible. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't feel like getting up out of bed. Um, How long is it before you're going to get in the rheumatologist? I don't know. Um, I'm supposed to follow up with her later this month, so hopefully by then she'll have assigned me someone. I don't think I'd wait that long. Uh, I would call her office back. It sounds like if you have a positive anti-nuclear antibody test, which Mm -hmm. is what it sounds like you have with a positive SSA, SSB Mm -hmm. test, you probably have lupus. Now, lupus, because it's very, very common in black women in particular. We see it in white Mm -hmm. women too, but black women, it's sort of epidemic uh, because of the genetics. Most don't go on the, uh, don't go on the, the, uh, internet to find out about this because you only hear the horror stories well most people cousin, would loop, i have a cousin with lupus okay but, um, well that tends to run in families told, yeah but she told me that i do not have lupus or ra so um who is I that told about, you that y- yeah who told you but, that 
um, the, the GP. Well, you need to let the rheumatologist make a decision on that. If you're having all these other symptoms, uh, you could very well have a connective tissue disease. Now, there are a lot of rheumatologists around. You don't have to have a referral. I would call my primary care doctor back and say, hey, I'm not feeling well. I need to get in with a rheumatologist and let the rheumatologist make that diagnosis for you because uh, we're trained to handle the fairly sophisticated workup that's necessary to make that decision. And there are some very simple, low-toxicity medications like Plaquenil that frequently will help that. You don't need to go to these biologics like you're hearing. Rituxan, which has uh, is a very, very strong bi- biologic, we don't use that as a first-line drug at all. There are other simpler drugs. So if you want some more information on that, send me an email and I'll send you the patient information sheet on both Sjogren's and lupus. But uh, I think you need to be seen quicker because if you do have lupus, regardless of what your primary care doctor says, it can activate very, very rapidly, especially now that the sun is out, which activates it. And you can end up with an acute lupus syndrome with a lot of cutaneous problems that can be uh, make you really sick. So I, you are cranking up enough with this that I wouldn't wait two months. I would like to see you seen within two weeks, okay? Okay. I'll, I'll send you an email. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. No, I, I appreciate you calling and uh, let us know if we can help, okay? All right. So let's go to your house, and uh, I don't have your number, so you'll have to call me, please, if you got a question. Order your car if you'll pull over. We'll take your question at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, uh, professor of pediatrics, and I will take any question and do what I can with it to help you. So give us a call. We have open lines. Let's go to Margaret in Victoria. Hey, Margaret. Hi, Rick. Which Victoria are you in? I'm in Victoria, Mississippi. Well, where is that? <laughs> about 30 minutes east of Memphis, Tennessee, uh-huh. about 15 minutes west of Holly Springs, Mississippi. Well, it sounds wonderful. It's in north, sort of northish Mississippi with rolling hills, I guess, huh? We're calling we're calling it northern Mississippi. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's good to have a few Yankees to balance off all these uh, Republicans down here. So there you go. All Wh- right. What's, go- what's going on? Okay. This is the deal. My family has a history of eczema and other skin problems. Mm-hmm. So I'm included in the bunch, have experienced it since childhood. In my younger years, I would go to the dermatologist, get a cream of some kind, put it on that itchy spot, and it would go away. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be kind of seasonal, mm-hmm. no and fall, when I would be bothered with it. As I've gotten older, the... Bumps and itchings have become more widespread over different areas of my body. And it's not always accompanied by a rash. Sometimes it just itches like the middle of my back mm-hmm. for years and years and years without a rash. Yeah. Of the usual creams, the steroids, etc. it calms it down for a little bit, right back to it. Mm-hmm. The little tiny, tiny water blisters. I start scratching, and before long, I see a little tiny blister in that spot. Right. And it itches like Do you have hay fever, too, in the spring and fall, sneezing itchy eyes and runny nose? 
I do. Uh -huh. and and, and, I tend to lose my voice. Uh huh. And some of your family has asthma. Uh, anybody in your family have asthma? I have a brother with COPD. Okay. So let me just tell you a little bit about atopic dermatitis, which is eczema, which sure sounds like uh, within the high probability you have because it usually occurs in uh, – beg your pardon? biopsy showed nothing more than what you said, atopical dermatitis. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me just tell you the general management of that because I'm also an allergist. I do a lot of different things, and I can help you with that one. Um, so um, – the, this is uh, atopic dermatitis is an inherited disease that is seen in people with the propensity to have allergies. We uh, and I have this. We make I have everything basically. That's one of the many things I have. Uh, and uh, so we allergic people make the IgE Ig epsilon antibody, and it is an, it is it recognizes pollens, dust mite, roach all those allergens, and it sticks to cells in our skin, nose, and respiratory tract, in some cases gut. And so when we're exposed to those, it uh, triggers those cells called mast cells to release histamine. And that is why you're having the itching without the bumps. Uh, you're having histamine release in your skin. So um, the if you take anybody's skin and you scratch it because it itches, you will get skin breakdown and the kind of rash that you get with atopic dermatitis. In fact, they've taken people with atopic dermatitis on one arm and ca on both arms and casted, put a cast on one arm and come back six weeks later and taking the cast out off and the skin is fine without any bumps on the cast arm and still raw on the other arm. So it's an itch-scratch cycle. So the first thing you have to do is stop the itch, and uh, that is done by taking an antihistamine. We like to start with Zyrtec, which is the most effective uh, non-sedative uh, antihistamine given at night. The second step is the reason the skin is itching is dried out. There's a moisturization problem. Uh, in people who have this. So you're not going to get away with not using moisturization. You're going to have to do that. So uh, the way that you can do that uh, well is to stop taking so many baths and showers. People in Europe take a bath once a week, uh, and they don't shave their legs. A lot of stuff going on over there. Uh, and uh, they don't have so much of a problem with this except in the winter when it's really dry. So I would cut my baths or showers back to three times a day if possible. Certainly after you have a bath, you need to grease up all over. And today's favorite grease used to be Aquaphor, which is like petroleum jelly. Today it's CeraVe, which is in a big white bottle over the counter, Okay. So after your bath, pat dry and grease up from top to bottom and try to do that twice a day. If that doesn't work, you can get some 1% uh, 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 hydrocortisone uh, and mix that equally with the CeraVe and uh, use that as a steroid to the areas that are itching the most. And, uh, and uh, you should be greasing up at least twice a day during your season. So antihistamines, lubricants, and lubricants with a weak steroid uh, are all I recommend that you do on your own. What happens when the skin gets broken down from scratching its staph? 
gets in there and you make IgE to staph, and that requires an antibiotic and a stronger steroid. Now, uh, that's about all I can give you, Vic, uh, Margaret, without coming up to Victoria and talking to you in person. But I can send you a, a very informative patient handout on that if you want some more information because you have a classic case, as do I, and I just put up with it by greasing up. You know, I mean, you come up to me and shake my hand, and you know I'm a greasy guy because I've got grease everywhere, but it sure takes care of the problem called eczema or atopic dermatitis. Send me an email at southernremedympbonline.org, and I'll send you a patient information and say hello to everybody in Victoria. Let's go to Gulfport and Brandon. Hey, hey, Brandon. Brandon, you there? Yeah, I'm here. How's it going today? I'm doing all right. What's going on with you? Hey, just giving the, giving you a call today. I wanted to ask you about the elevated liver enzymes. Okay. Uh, got, when got some blood work done about a month or two ago. I'm a pretty healthy guy. I'm 35. Uh, endurance athlete, I guess, go marathons, triathlons, all that kind of stuff. All my blood work came back perfect. Except some elevated liver enzymes. They mm. were uh, not highly elevated, but, uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s, I guess the normal range is in the 40s. Yeah. Um, went and got them, went to a gastro for some uh, other things, and uh, he was concerned about them. Uh, ran them again. They were still elevated. Uh, he ran some other tests in reference to, uh, you know, hepatitis, mm-hmm. uh, iron deficiencies, and all those came back okay. Um I just still got some concerns. I'd done a little bit of reading, uh, maybe found some stuff about uh, elevated liver enzymes and endurance athletes, uh, people who are uh, overly active, and I uh, wanted to get your thoughts about maybe some other issues, a way to uh, deal with that or anything. Okay. Does problem. anybody else in your uh, family, uh, blood relatives, have elevated liver enzymes? Not that, that you I'm know, aware. never heard of that. Because there's some rare problems where that's a family problem. It sounds like you're an athlete and thin. Uh, the most common cause of elevated uh, uh, liver enzymes in that range, low levels in Mississippi, is obesity. Just about everybody that is overweight or obese stores extra fat in their liver. And it makes their liver cells angry, and they release enzymes. And uh, it's a marker of what we call the metabolic syndrome, which is uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, uh, gout. And uh, uh, so that does not seem to be what's going on with you. I presume your blood glucose was normal and so forth and so on. But that is the most common cause. And, and simply by having people... Uh, lose weight, having people lose weight, uh, we can get um, uh, a lot of that sorted out. The second common cause is hepatitis C. Hepatitis C uh, is usually seen in older adults who are from the hippie generation and got affected from uh, sex- on a sexually acquired basis and didn't know it and carried around. That's why you see all this stuff about get tested if you haven't been tested, the reason they're saying get tested is we now have great antibiotics for the first time to get rid of that. Uh, you can get with the other hepatitis uh, bugs as well. So uh, that is the second thing, and it sounds like your gastroenterologist uh, checked that out as well. The third thing in Mississippi that causes it is alcohol use, and um, and some people are very, very sensitive to alcohol, even in small quantities, 
and uh, especially uh, binge drinking, like uh, going out to the beach uh, for the weekend and having a whole bunch of beer and stuff like that will bump everybody's up. How much alcohol are you using? Oh, I say uh, I don't even know if I drink a six pack in a, in a month these days. Just yeah. do all the training. And stuff. Well, we're, we're glad that there's a lot of good Baptists in Mississippi, so that that deals with that problem. <laughs> so that's unlikely. That's unlikely as well. And uh, so you, the you, the big things have been looked at, and uh, most uh, gastroenterologists will, and general internists uh, will, uh, and family medicine people will follow. Uh, this and rather than doing a liver biopsy, but the ultimate uh, way to sort this out would be a liver biopsy, and I certainly would not biopsy somebody for uh, liver enzymes in the less than three times normal. That's usually the magic number that we use. Now, the other thing that can do this is gallstones. And did he get an ultrasound of your gallbladder? No, we didn't do uh, we didn't do anything like that. I honestly uh, haven't uh, haven't had any follow up uh, since all those other um, tests came back. Um, yeah. Okay, the hepatitis and the iron and all that stuff. Well, that's the only other thing I would do if you were my patient is I'd get an ultrasound of your gallbladder and make sure you don't have uh, uh, gallstones that are intermittently blocking some of the drainage ducts, and that'll bump them up too. Uh, and that's just about it. Uh, if it got any higher, was persistent, or you had anything else going on, then it might be worth uh, doing a needle biopsy of your liver and send that to pathologists. But I think that's probably unlikely. I don't know of any convincing data that marathon, when I, after a run, every enzyme in the body in, a, in an Olympic uh, or a marathon uh, runner, everything is off including liver enzymes and blood counts and everything else. I mean, it's, you, it looks like you're going to die uh, um, in a lot of these runners. Uh, but uh, that quickly resolves with hydration and so forth. Uh, and so I don't think that, uh, that exercise is probably a part of your equation unless you are getting your enzymes done uh, really close to when you're running or doing whatever you do. Uh, but I would check back with my gastroenterologist at least by phone and tell him that you heard that you probably need an ultrasound and he may poo-poo that or she may poo-poo that. But that would be the next step, Brandon. If if you want me to send you some information uh, that doctors use on this topic, just send me an email and I'll do that. But I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not real excited about uh, doing a whole lot more other than the ultrasound. I hope that's helpful and I appreciate your call. We have open lines at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We've ha- heard from no one in Alabama so far uh, today. We'd love to have our usual callers from uh, Fairhope and all those places over there. Uh, give us a call. Uh, you always have good questions, or whoever you are, we love to hear from you. Let's go to Philadelphia. Hey, Debbie. Hey, Dr. Rick. How are you today? I'm doing great. I presume this is Philadelphia, Mississippi. You presume correctly. So let me tell you my story. I had a Yankee uh, down here uh, visiting me as a visiting professor, one of these uppity Harvard types, and uh, I told him uh, that I was going to take him to Philadelphia for dinner. 
and he looked at me funny like, you know, you idiot. And uh, so I cranked the car up and uh, took him up there. And uh, we went to one of the establishments where food is cheap, if you know what I mean. I do. And uh, he couldn't believe that we had Philadelphia in uh, in Mississippi. And by the time we got through with uh, the menu and a few drinks, he thought it was probably better than the Philadelphia that he knew. So, <laughs> so much for Philadelphia. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, my question is, is that um, do you have to have a referral to see the rheumatologist? Uh, some of them, uh, let me let me just tell you the politics of this. Uh, rheumatologists don't like to see people with fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. okay? And there are jillions of people with fibromyalgia. And uh, so many rheumatologists require that you have a referral from a doctor or send your medical records in uh, in order to be seen. Uh, and I think that stinks, but that's just the way it is. And there are so few rheumatologists, we can we can do whatever we want to to control whoever we want to see. So it depends on the rheumatologist. The, at the university, that is usually not required, uh, and you can call around uh, – and see if that is required. But I would say that at least 75 to 80% of the rheumatologists do require a referral, primarily because they don't want to see people with osteoarthritis, old-age arthritis, that you can't do much for, and fibromyalgia that takes a lot of time to sort out. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that's the way we are, but that's it. Well, I'm 49 years old, and I've just been diagnosed with um, osteoporosis. Uh-huh. And, and I've actually called and tried to get an appointment um, there at UMC. And um, I've also attempted to try to get my primary doctor to um, fax my medical records. I finally just went and picked them up because I never could get them to fax them to you guys. Uh-huh. But um, do you um, have to have an, an arthritis panel done as well before you can be seen? No. So people with osteoporosis, there's a special osteoporosis clinic run by the um, rheumatology division that functions separately from the division of rheumatology. But what you what you need to do is go ahead and call uh, the appointments person for um, rheumatology at UMC if that's where you want to go and tell them Dr. Rick referred you. For an osteoporosis workup, and then you now you got a referral. How's that? Okay. Well, hey, that sounds wonderful. Okay, try that, well, and if it doesn't work, so get back get back with me by email, and I'll see you myself. Thank okay. You so All right. Bye bye. We got open lines, and we'd love to talk to you about whatever kind of problems you have. If you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. And we'll be right back after the break to say hello to you. Give us a call.
Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Next time on Mississippi Roads, Mississippi celebrates its bicentennial in 2017, and we take a look at some of the state's history. In addition, we feature a story on Tejada, the first capital building in the state. It still stands in Natchez. And we take a look at the Key Brothers' historical flight over Meridian, which resonates even to this day. I'm Walt Grayson. Join me on Mississippi Roads. Thursday at 7 p.m. on MPB-TV. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Dr. Rick, and we're here alone and lonely taking your questions. Don't have a guest today, just me and my multiple personalities uh, talking about whatever you want to talk about. We're going to go to New Albany in one second. I just wanted to say we're working on a, a documentary for Southern Radio Television, uh, Southern Remedy uh, Television now on marijuana use in children, and it is mind-boggling. Uh, it, there's some new information about um, side effects from marijuana in kids, and uh, the use of it is pretty pretty significant. So uh, it's it's not uh, not the same in kids as in adults because of effects on the on neurological development. So keep your ears out uh, for that, and we'll be uh, doing that soon. Have an email here. I have severe arthritis in my low back due to scoliosis. Can you send me a list of the pain medicines you discussed last week? Uh, you mentioned there are some new ones available. I cannot take blood thinning drugs at this time, and Tylenol is not providing relief, and I don't want to take opioids. Uh, and he also or she also asked for some uh, information on this, and I will send that to you by email. Um, so... Let's talk just for one second about uh, over-the-counter non-steroidals. These are drugs that act like steroids but do not have steroid side effects in arthritis. That is, they get rid of the pain, but they don't really affect the natural history of the arthritis. And um, so you're familiar with these. The most common ones are naproxen and ibuprofen. And, uh, you know, they're, they have, uh, they're available by prescription or they're available over the counter as a leave and so forth. Naproxen has a half-life of 12 hours. Uh, uh, ibuprofen has a half-life of six hours. So if you got arthritis and you can take naproxen, it's clearly preferred because your arthritis is still going to come back in six hours. And if you take naproxen twice a day, that's going to work. You always have to take a stomach protector whenever you take any of these non-steroidals uh, because they will all give you gastritis and, in some cases, stomach ulcers. So you need to be taking one of the over-the-counter acid blockers, and I'm talking about things like 
um, Parazol, which is at the big box stores, is dirt cheap and has fewer any side effects uh, and following the label on that. So that's the starting place. And uh, after Tylenol uh, uh, doesn't work. And I'll send you some more information about uh, this. The only real problems with using non-steroidals chronically is the gastrointestinal problems, which I mentioned you can deal with. And the other problem is if you have high blood pressure, they cause some sodium retention, and it can get your blood pressure up. So you have to monitor your blood pressure while you're on them. And if you have chronic renal disease, because of their effects uh, on the kidney, uh, they can cause kidney issues. So we we uh, check people that have chronic diseases when we put them on these. Uh, we have a lot of people on them, and they work very well, but we have to do all these precautions. Let's go to New Albany and Jerry. Hey, Jerry. Yeah, this is Gary, Dr. Rick. Good to talk uh, to you. Uh, my, my question, you asked part of my question. I'm a 64-year-old, uh, been overweight for about 10 years, and until probably the last five years, I, I never hardly went to a doctor. You didn't need to, you know. Right. Uh, and of course, I found out that I had precursors for pre-diabetes, and I'm overweight, uh, about 120 pounds probably. And I was worried about my back because I, I, I was getting tired of taking ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. My doc gave me 800 milligrams, I guess, with special buffering for the stomach. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I, I got to reading up, and I said, well, I've never had an aortic uh, aneurysm ultra. Uh, right. And and, uh, and I said, he told me, well, when you turn 65, you get one. Well, I got one. And uh, they couldn't see it because mm-hmm. of weight, I suppose. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if I should pursue that uh, further. And, Was that done in in his uh, office or in a in a radiologic facility? And I'll. Uh, where was the ultrasound I'm done? Sure, I'll stay on the line if you want me to. Yeah, Jerry, where was that done? Was that done in the office or was that in done in a? Oh, you still there? Yeah, I'm still there. Okay, it sounds like we're having some trouble communicating uh, with Jerry. His cell phone is out of our area, but uh, Jerry, let me answer your question. Um, you're correct. There, uh, folks who are former smokers uh, should all have an ultrasound of their aorta, the big blood vessel in the chest, done uh, sometime around age 50 or so, and insurance will pay for one to make sure you don't have an aortic aneurysm. At least for now, the 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 findings on the, the cost-benefit ratio of that's being analyzed, and I don't know where they're going to continue to pay for it, but it's certainly we picked up a lot of aortic aneurysms, most of which don't ever get big enough to have to be fixed. And in your case, if you're so obese that the ultrasound can't be done, then uh, there are other ways you can image the aorta, most of them having to do with uh, CT or MRI imaging, and your doctor will work with you on whether the cost is worth the benefit. The biggest thing you need to do is lose some weight. Josie uh, Bidwell, who does the Monday program, uh, is our weight management specialist and uh, same time on Mondays. I wish you would give her a call. Uh, the main reason we put her into our 
program series is because she is fantastic. She's been overweight herself, actually been obese, and uh, she's a nurse practitioner and has figured out a system to help people deal with weight issues. So I wish you would give her a call uh, on her program and get that dealt with. Okay, let's go to Deborah. Deborah, what's your question? Deborah, you with us? Yes, I am. How do you do? Um, I'm not fine. Well, well, tell me what's going on. Let's see if we I can think, help you. I, I had two back surgeries, one in November um, of 2015 and one in March 2016. Mm-hmm. And I had this same exact problem that I had before I had surgery. Mm-hmm. I actually, I had four four shots in my back prior to my surgery. Right. And after the fourth one, he said, you know, this doesn't do you any good. You might want to seek out a surgeon. Right. Which I did immediately, and they did surgery within a week. Mm-hmm. Um, they removed some stuff out of my spinal cord. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I, I feel like I'm being electrocuted between my legs on the inside, going down to my knee, and then from my knee, it reverses and goes to the back of the leg, down to my feet. Mm-hmm. My feet feel like I'm being pricked by hundreds of pins. Uh-huh. And this just started since that last shot that I did in my back. Okay, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to see an orthopedic or, or a neurological spine surgeon. Well, this is what the doctor, after they released me from Oshner's in New Orleans, she released me to go to a nerve specialist, mm-hmm. and they want to put in a stimulator in my back. Mm-hmm. I'm from a huge family. I mean, I've got, I'm one out of 13, and I don't know anyone that's ever had that. Mm-hmm. And my daughter lives in Canada, and she she's an athlete. She has one of those ones that goes on your back. Uh-huh. It's battery-operated. Mm-hmm. It actually, I, I used that one night when I was up there, and it I had it on so long, I guess too long, because it actually gave me diarrhea. Mm-hmm. But for my sister knows one person that has this, mm-hmm. but she says that she's in such bad shape that she she's completely scared me away from it, but I can't get up and walk. Okay, now let, listen, listen, listen to me, listen to me carefully, okay? This is not an unusual problem. You have what is called the failed back surgery syndrome, okay? You need to have another opinion. Uh, the neurologist that they're sending you to can tell you you have a neuropathy. I'm telling you you have that now. Uh, you need to go to a board-certified uh, spine surgeon uh, who is trained in back surgery to make sure that the surgery that was done has not complicated your spinal cord, uh, in particular if you're having weakness, because you may need uh, to have some corrective surgery done for what has already been done. UMC has several of those people who are excellent. Uh, there are good uh, good ones throughout the state. Most of them have been trained here. Uh, but you need a, a neuro, neurologist, ne- neurosurgeon, who is a certified spine surgeon or an orthopedist who's a spine surgeon. That's point A. Point B, the stimulators work very, very good. Uh, at our place, they're, put, they're managed actually by the pain medicine experts who are all anesthesia doctors, and they can be very helpful if there's no uh, fix for this. But the number one thing that you need to do is to get 
uh, your neurologist and your spine surgeon together to talk to make sure there's not a piece of bone or spur or something that is causing this because you could easily have problems with bowel and bladder function with the kind of neurological issues you've got going on. Don't panic. Don't panic. Uh, but get this done. And if you can't get in to see someone, send me an email uh, at southernremedy.mpbonline.org, and I'll give you some names uh, to contact. So this is this is a real problem, and you need to get that fixed quickly. And I'll help you if you can't take care of it yourself. All right, let's go to Carol in Lewisburg. Hey, Carol. Hi. Thanks for your call. What's going on? Um, I was recently diagnosed with, uh, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Lechen planipolaris. Can you and spell it? If you could, oh, yeah. It's L-I-C-H-E-N. Uh-huh. P-L-A-N-O-P-I-L-A-R-I-S. It affects the scalp. I think that's lichen plantus, but they usually spell it L-I-C-H-E-N-P-L-A-N-T-U-S. Okay. Yeah, this may be, I don't know, maybe something, I don't know. I think I was trying to Google it, and it's like related to that. Uh-huh. Did they do a skin biopsy of your scalp or scraping or what? Yes, they did. Okay. And, uh, they have been treating it with various different things, and I believe it's an autoimmune disease. Well, nobody knows what causes lichen planus. Do you okay. have lesions in your mouth, too, little plaques in your no. mouth? Uh-huh. No, it was just mostly I went because my head was just, itching so badly I couldn't stand it. Okay, the differential diagnosis, but you did have... Uh, a biopsy? You did have some uh, scaling up there, right? Probably, but you know, with your scalp, you don't really usually look at it. Uh-huh. Yourself. So yeah. here's the differential diagnosis of that and what should be done. Number one is uh, most of this uh, most of this problem, uh, people who have this problem have what's called seborrheic dermatitis, which is, um, it's, uh, we don't know the cause of that either. There's greasy, it's greasy, a greasy dermatitis with scaling, frequently have scales in the eyebrows and a greasy forehead. And that's pretty easy to treat with one of the uh, ketoconazole or other uh, therapeutic uh, shampoos. The second thing that we think of is psoriasis, and usually the skin biopsy can be helpful in sorting that out. Uh, the third most pop, uh, most common thing is fungus in the scalp. You can get fungus in the scalp just like you can get it between your toes or uh, in your genital area. And uh, the way that that is detected is a scraping is done. It's looked at under the microscope. Sounds like you've been to a dermatologist who has uh, done a biopsy and uh, and and the diagnosis is most compatible with that particular unusual. That's an unusual presentation for a lichen planus. And my recommendation to you, if it's not getting better, uh, is since I don't have the biopsy report or anything to look at, is to go to that dermatologist. Give the dermatologist a couple of months to get your problem fixed. And at that point, if you're not getting it sorted out to your satisfaction, ask her or him to refer you for a second opinion to a university dermatology program where you have a lot of dermatologists around that can look at that. 
Uh, just like any other chronic problem, if your local doctor can't get it fixed, good doctors are more than willing to get send you someplace for a second opinion. So, Carol, that's that's what I would do, and it's about all I can do because I can't see what you've got. But uh, I want to. I would want to make sure that the three more common causes have been adequately excluded, and I gave you those three before you go off making some very unusual diagnosis. Uh, lichen planus can affect you know just about any place, but it doesn't usually um, present in the scalp, in my experience. All right, let's go to Rick on the road. Hey, Rick. Rick, this is Rick. What's going on? Hey, uh, good. Um, I was exposed to Agent Orange back when I was in uh, Vietnam, back in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, in, in 2001, my PSA started to rise. And um, and it came to a head in 2010. And um, so I, I went on this special diet and all that kind of stuff. And... And it and it helped me out quite a bit, but after that, it seems like any food that I eat, no matter whether it's vegetables or fruits or whatever, irritates my prostate. Mm-hmm. I have a heart urinating, mm-hmm. and the reason why I know this is because when I fast, when I don't eat for a day or two or into the third day, I can urinate really, really good, and. Um, I just wanted to know if you had any experience with that, you know, since I, I don't think you do, though. But Well, I'm a, I'm a, I spent uh, nine years at Walter Reed, so I've seen a few Vietnam vets uh, with all kinds of problems. So, no, I, yeah, I have a lot of experience with this and the Agent Orange question as well. Uh, it sounds like that you have prostatism, uh, which is an enlarged prostate, Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay, so now listen to me carefully, and let me see if I can sort this out for you. Uh, Prostatism, once you get it, you got it. It's a chronic problem that you live with the rest of your life unless you've had your prostate removed, and then you get a whole new set of problems. And what you have is called LUTS, lower urinary tract syndrome, that is very, very common in people with enlarged prostates, the ureter that connects your um, connects your bladder to your penis goes through the prostate, and when your prostate is enlarged, it squeezes it and it makes it mad, and so you start getting problems like feeling like you never empty your bladder, having to run to the bladder uh, with urgency, and sometimes losing your urine if you can't get there having trouble getting it started, having trouble getting it stopped, dribbling in your underwear. Those are all LUTS symptoms. And uh, in in general, any kind of food that has acid in it, and especially diet, uh, especially cola drinks, diet or otherwise, or caffeine can make this worse. And chocolate has a lot of caffeine in it. That can do it as well. There's some other other things that you ingest that can also make this uh, uh, act act up on this. It changes the pH of your urine. But in general, most it's not a lot of foods. And if you're uh, th- these symptoms are intermittent, have a life of their own. And I think you may have what we call false attribution. Now, you, I'm not going to give you time to argue with me because I got another call. But false attribution is when you have a chronic problem, 
that comes on and off on its own, and you start associating it with something else, and it's really not connected, but you make that connection. And I'm I'm concerned that you're making uh, a connection with foods, uh, routine foods that's unrelated to what's going on. Uh, the way we treat LUTs is we make sure you don't have prostate cancer, and we put you on a bladder, uh, on a prost- on a uh, uh, on a muscle relaxer that relaxes the muscles in that plumbing system. Uh, and Flomax is the one that you're most familiar with. And if that doesn't work, we frequently put you on Dutesteride, which is a chemical that shrinks your prostate, <clears throat> and that gets rid of a lot of these symptoms. And and I don't think it probably had anything to do with Agent Orange. Uh, I think you're just getting older and you're a guy and this happens to a lot of us. So that's my recommendation. You get back to your urologist. Stop trying to treat this yourself with salt palmetto, which probably doesn't work, and diets and stuff like that, and get some real medicines that we know work. So that's probably not what you want to hear, but that's the honest truth. So I'm going to stick with it. Let's go to Oxford and Vicky. Hey, Vicky. Vicky, it's me. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How are things in the in the center of all knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made a lot of people mad saying that. I got some nasty letters. What's your question? What's your question? Yes, yes. I was wondering since there are some of our internal organs, I'm, I'm having uh, thinking about like pancreas, liver. Um, the pancreas, the liver, uh, ovaries, maybe that, that, you know, they don't throw symptoms or mm-hmm. anything of mm-hmm. cancer until the end stages and the stomach as well. Right. Is it advisable to maybe have a PET scan all over scan of your body to see if there's anything working, you know, any kind of disease or whatever that, you know, otherwise wouldn't throw any symptoms? So hey, hey, this, Vicki, you and I are of similar mind. I would expect that you would because you're from Oxford and I grew up in Birmingham, a lesser place. Uh, but uh, I think you're right. I think in the next 10 years, we will be getting total body, body scans at certain intervals to pick up these silent problems. And we'll have a way not to, to decide what's really important and what's not. So I think you're really on target. And we'll let you know about that when that happens. Thanks for listening to Southern Remedy, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Think Radio Cats, a replay of today's show, if you didn't get enough already, uh, this Sunday at 6 a.m. And join us next Wednesday at 11 for the original Southern Remedy, where the doctors are always in. Our producer is Jay White. Stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.